companies that know their suppliers that have validated their operational readiness, have executed and learned from their business continuity plans are just better prepared companies. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Rob Glenn, who is the Director of the Office of Business, Industry, and Infrastructure Integration at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, commonly known to most of you as FEMA. Rob, thanks so much for being here. How are you? Hey, thanks a lot, Peter. Doing great. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I know our, our topic of focus today is how FEMA supports businesses and communities after disasters. But before we begin, could you please provide our listeners with just a brief synopsis of your career background and your role at FEMA too? Sure. You know, I'll just start in reverse. You know, my role at FEMA is to really support the connection between what the government does and what the private sector is doing. FEMA's mission is to help people before, during, and after disaster. Emergency management is a team sport, and it's my job, along with my team at headquarters, along with uh, private sector liaisons across all 10 FEMA regions, is to really foster those connections before a disaster happens. You know, my background in emergency management, I've got state experience, both in emergency management, uh, running a state emergency operations center, as well as doing some public affairs work, and then also as the Homeland Security Advisor to the Governor and also the Homeland Security Director. Also have some military experience and some consulting time with the, the Department of Defense, uh, Homeland Security, and FEMA. Wow, that's fantastic. Excellent experience. Can you just give us an overview of FEMA, as well as the specific services and resources it provides? Sure. So, you know, FEMA itself uh, started really as a, a, a an amalgamation of different programs coming out of the Cold War. It was started, uh, founded in 1979 by President Carter. So FEMA is just a little over 40 years old. Its mission is to, to help people before, during, and after disasters, like I shared. Just in the last year, we processed over 102 disaster declarations, and we're currently in a 50-state disaster with the global pandemic of COVID-19. We've obligated more than $6 billion towards vaccination efforts over the last year, nearly uh, over 3,600 vaccination sites. And then on the individual um, aspect of that, more than a billion dollars has been provided to disaster survivors just in 2021. We navigated both the 2020, it was historic and multiple levels, uh, just a historic year when it comes to the hurricane activity, but also a historic year when it comes to the pandemic and the global supply chain disruption as well. So, you know, at FEMA, we we certainly help people through programs, but when it comes to the to, to businesses, we use a variety of different efforts uh, as well. When you apply to receive disaster assistance, you do apply for a small business administration loan. That's good for you, whether you're a business or also an individual. Most of the coordination and most of the support that we provide to businesses is really through ongoing coordination and integration, planning, training, exercises. And that's uh, a function not only of my office, but also making sure that across the, the FEMA enterprise, we're doing all we can to really align our efforts and capabilities with what uh, the private sector is doing as well. 
You know, until you just said it, I didn't realize FEMA was involved in the COVID-19 response. So how does a disaster get declared at FEMA and what qualifies as a disaster that you would jump in and help with? Sure. So as the saying goes, all disasters are local. The states are really uh, key to a disaster declaration. We feel as emergency management professionals that disasters are best managed, uh, locally executed, state managed, and federally supported, and that's either through dollars or capabilities. A local jurisdiction's capabilities really do need to be exhausted for the next level of government to offer some uh, support. Many times we see mutual aid being rendered, not only jurisdiction to jurisdiction, like a township to a township or a county to a county, but it's also within a discipline and also across state lines. And as we work with states, you know, we work in tandem with the states. For example, if a tornado hits the state, a governor will declare a disaster for their state based upon what they have, but also potentially up to the FEMA region for federal disaster declaration that's signed by the president. So this allows different kinds of programs, different kinds of capabilities and resources to be available. We certainly don't want to wait. In a sense, waiting is failure, and certainly we don't want to fail people. We don't want to fail our state partners. You know, just thinking about you know, the declaration process uh, and how some of this works. You know, I'm just reflecting a little bit upon Hurricane Ida. You know, even before uh, landfall, we were looking at that threat almost a week out, working with the states, most significantly Louisiana, but also Mississippi and a few other states uh, more inland on what the impacts could be. Prepositioning resources is also something that we can do not always tied to a specific state declaration. But that, that, that declaration at the, from the president does allow us to deploy, allows us to surge, if you will, into position. And that's certainly a lesson learned from some of the events that uh, I mentioned a couple minutes ago. That's all pre-landfall and then post-landfall, just using Hurricane Ida as an example, and then post-landfall, that's really where a, a lot of the planning kicks into high gear. Some of those conversations that were started including with the private sector through the National Business Emergency Operations Center that I lead and other partner organizations are already underway. We're looking at what potentially is broken, what needs to be fixed, what community lifelines may need to be stabilized. You know, thinking about, you know, power, certainly uh, that was at the forefront of Ida. You know, the government doesn't necessarily have the ability to turn on power, but it can enable those that are, have that ability to, to turn on power to restore communications, to open road networks, and so on. And so that's really what we do is really, you know, try to serve as the enabler of so many other capabilities through the coordination and communication that we provide. You know, currently we have more than 1,200 staff in the impacted area for Hurricane Ida, administering programs, helping with the long-term housing mission, particularly in Louisiana. And, you know, recovery is certainly an aspect of emergency management that can go on for decades. And so, you know, for example, even in Louisiana, we still have the office open for Katrina. So those recovery wow. programs last a very long time. And it does require not only just the whole of government to respond to these very significant challenges like COVID-19, but it really takes the whole community and really making sure that we are addressing the needs of the whole community, not just in recovery, but also during response. And then also as we're preparing for a potentially very bad day.
Yeah, it seems like FEMA really is the grease for the gears that are already there. You guys have the know-how and can call people and bring resources in and you just know what to do to basically mobilize and activate the local government, the local businesses to help with the overall process. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, that's something that it's a good opportunity just to just to share perspective on that. So, you know, local execution and state managed and federally supported disasters is not just a, a bumper sticker. Yeah, it's also not just necessarily waiting for the federal government to do everything. It, it is a it is, as I said, I think earlier, it's really a team sport. You have to have everybody on the field or on the sidelines waiting for a certain mission. And so we we also think have to think through strategically how different resources are being deployed. There's not an infinite amount of resources at the federal level, certainly at FEMA. You know, we want to make sure that we're responding as as robustly as we can. But that's also done in consultation and in partnership with the states. And so that that really can't go unsaid, if you will. Uh, is that the role of the states uh, to, to manage their disasters along with the jurisdictions that are in the states. We want to make sure that the capacity is there for a disaster like a flood. Flooding continues to be the number one uh, disaster threat in the United States. We want that to be there so we don't essentially need to respond. I mean, the best, the best response is one where FEMA or other federal assets don't necessarily need to be deployed to because the capabilities at the state or the other jurisdictions is strong enough, resilient enough, and robust enough to meet the to meet those challenges. Well, what type of assistance can FEMA provide to businesses that are impacted by disasters and how can an organization go about applying for it? You know, one of the things that I would just share is that the level of assistance that financial assistance that that FEMA can provide a business is is really relatively limited. Where we really can be helpful is enabling businesses to be operational, focusing on business continuity, uh, the operational resilience of systems, so that that is the first real responsibility if you're running a business is to your stakeholders or your shareholders. How do you generate value? That's actually providing that good, that service. And we want companies to be able to do that, uh, large, medium, and small. So we created the National Business Emergency Operations Center in 2012. It was first tested in Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy, and that is a mechanism where we coordinate with uh, businesses of all sizes, typically large businesses, so that we can make sure that we've got open lines of communication. We are integrating different capabilities operationally before a disaster, during a disaster, and then also examining some of the cross-sector aspects of where power, communications, and then also, you know, financial systems, transportation systems, they're all at some point kind of connected. And we work with our partner agency, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, to really manage that. So that is something that we do as, you know, as I said, it's a team sport. That's one thing that we do. One of the other things that we do is for the employees, you know, this is an employee safety podcast. So Individual assistance will not make someone whole after a disaster, but it certainly can help provide some additional resources after there's an application to FEMA if there's a disaster declaration so that that worker, that associate, that employee can start in the road to recovery. There are also other mechanisms that uh, people can access, whether it's from a non-governmental organization, a faith-based organization, a voluntary organization as well. 
The Small Business Administration does offer loans to businesses that, that do qualify. That, that's some, some direct uh, monetary potential as well. And then there's also a very significant program that, that started right before the pandemic, but billions of dollars are being made available for communities to, to, to focus on building res resilient infrastructure. And so the, the, the infrastructure, if it's more resilient to withstand an external strain or shock, it potentially is going to help the entire community. So I would just, you know, in, in this podcast, you know, there's probably not a lot, a lot of time to talk about all the different programs that we have. But if you do go to FEMA.gov, the BRIC program is B-R-I-C. That's the, the mitigation program. And then in BEOC, National Business Emergency Operations Center, you can see an application there to, to join that as well. Fantastic. And so if people are thinking, hey, for my business, I want to get more proactively involved with FEMA. I don't foresee a disaster. I just want to be prepared. Can they visit that same location to get more information? Or is there like a local office they can cover? Is it regional? Like, how does that work? How do they get in touch with somebody? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And, it, and like I shared a couple of minutes ago, you know, we want to want to work with our state partners. You know, there are more state coordination mechanisms that than existed, you know, even even five years ago. So if you're a national company, it makes sense to to work with FEMA through the National Business Emergency Operations Center, or through the one of the ten FEMA regional offices where we have a private sector liaison as well. But if you're operating in a state, you have significant operations. You know, some companies have operations in all 50 states. It's sometimes it's easier for them to work with FEMA on an issue. It's a national level issue. But if it's a local disruption, a local disaster, you want to have that relationship with the state or, you know, uh, if there's another you know, county, city. If they've got a, a, a business emergency operations center or if they have an emergency support function or they just have a, a liaison, that can help them navigate whatever the disruption is. There's more people like that now than there ever used to be. And while we sometimes get calls from different size companies, you know, many times we do refer them either back to a region or, or back to a state because the state might actually be the entity that is going to be able to solve the problem more locally. And so that's consistent with what I shared earlier that you know, that local execution of, of a disaster program, that's where you're going to see, you know, many of those real gritty problems get resolved. And I guess conversely, do you like to hear from businesses and organizations who say, look, we may not be impacted by the incident that occurred, but we can help. Here's what we do. We make bottled water. We can ship it in. We're a grocery company. We can help with logistics and supplies. Do you like to hear from organizations like that as well? Yeah, absolutely. We do. And you're seeing more people do that kind of work, but you're also seeing businesses really take more of a citizen, a corporate citizenship role uh, before, during, and after disaster as well. Some of the, some companies get very involved in preparing their, their employees. Some businesses, there's a program called the, the Community Emergency Response Team or CERT. If you go to the FEMA website, there's some detail on that too. Again, that's a a federally supported program, but it's locally executed. That really helps uh, build preparedness. And I think that the companies that want to do good should be thinking about how they want to do good before a disaster happens. So, uh, for example, you mentioned bottled water. We purchase bottled water from FEMA. That's one of the commodities that we preposition and often use to support people that uh, their water systems have been disrupted or they can't get water because the grocery stores are not able to open during a disaster. At some point, 
Maybe that's a, a donation from a company to a state. Perhaps a state may want to buy that. FEMA is not always going to be the customer. And so sometimes what we have experienced is that well-intentioned companies want us to buy. We're not in a position to buy. The state may not be in a position to buy. Sometimes it's there's an alignment that can occur. You know, when you're thinking about a grocery store that just needs to open. That's really good for us to know. And we've got significant relationships with the grocers of, 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 of our country. And just as a, it's just a side note, you know, the, gro- the grocery supply chain, I'm, I'm so impressed with the resilience and the work ethic of that industry, given the strain that that industry has had throughout COVID to really make sure that the shelves are stocked, even, even you know, COVID plus a hurricane, being able to resupply out of the distribution centers, it's just a it's just a real marvel that they've been able to do that. And so you created a window for me to talk about grocers, and I wanted to acknowledge that acknowledge that. But you know, there, there's there's countless examples like that, not only just for COVID, but also for the tornadoes that occur, hurricanes that occur, the flooding that occurs. They're all federally declared disasters. Most disasters and emergencies never really truly rise to the level of the president's desk. And that's why the capabilities, the capacities are really needed at that state and local level. And that's also where, you know, the private sector has a really key opportunity to make a difference too. Well, FEMA has responded to some of the most devastating disasters in history. What lessons on preparedness and recovery can be learned from all these different crises? You know, Peter, one of the first things I'll just share is that, you know, both, uh, both personally and professionally, you're never as prepared as you think you're going to be. It, that, that's, that's working from that expectation. You have to strive for preparedness and you have to strive for being ready for, you know, not just the disaster that you think is gonna occur, but, but sometimes it's not just the disaster, it's the, the disruption caused to infrastructure or to people, and that creates second and third order effects that really need to be contended with. Planning for that is doable. Planning for that does require coordination across uh, the government, federal, state, territorial, and tribal uh, governments. It also requires coordination and integration of business and industry capabilities as well. One other thing that I would just share is that we're all much more aware now because of COVID and the disruption caused for, from COVID of how fragile our supply chains are. You know, we set up our supply chains to be highly efficient and created just-in-time supply chains. And now that we are in a global supply chain disruption due to COVID, that is definitely something that requires some, some additional attention. Companies that know their suppliers, uh, that have validated their operational readiness, have executed and, and learned from their business continuity plans, are just better prepared companies. You know, uh, a few years ago, we were actively talking about building a culture of preparedness. Some really large companies I, you know, took that to heart and, and adopted uh, that culture preparedness at their companies. Those companies that have done so are, are just more resilient. Uh, the communities that, that adopt that culture are more resilient as well, recognizing that there's always going to be you know, potentially some sort of nuance in a disaster that you know, is the proverbial black swan that you just didn't see coming. And that's really hard to kind of contend with. You know, one other thing is that on preparedness is that we have an entire organization at FEMA that deals with preparedness, and they deal with the national level exercise, and that is intended to help 
the nation be better prepared for disasters. And for those listening that are curious about that, um, forming that relationship with the local emergency manager or the state emergency manager is really paramount to really ensuring that, you know, regardless of the size of your enterprise, you've got the relationship infrastructure that accompanies the actual physical infrastructure of the systems that you're relying upon. And I guess the last thing I would just share is you you can always do one more thing and poking holes in your planning, conducting regular testing and training and exercises. It's really helpful for the C-suite and it's also really helpful for those that are on the front lines of a company as well. If it's something you can never really ultimately be prepared for, like there's just no way you can, which you mentioned at the very beginning, then a lot of times that creates paralysis and people don't know where to start, so they just don't start. If you think about creating a culture of preparedness, in your opinion, what is a good way for an organization to just start and jump into it? What's the first thing they should focus on? There's a lot of different resources on FEMA.gov. You know, we have a whole program that that we started a number of years ago, the Ready program. There's Ready Business. There's Ready.gov that has you know very easy to use tools for households and individuals as well as businesses. But starting somewhere is really important. And and so, you know, consistent with our mission to help people before, during, and after disaster, you know, we we try to ensure that we have an environment where we're thinking through, you know, those potentially that haven't received a seat at the table, if you will. So underserved populations, those that are under-resourced and may not necessarily respond the same way to a disaster as someone that might have more resources is definitely something to think through. You know, if you're thinking about, you know, how do I start, you know, from a readiness standpoint, we're always looking at what we can always do a little bit better. If a company has has gone through COVID and they're looking at their their strengths, their weaknesses, their opportunities, and their threats, just like I think a a, a business would do. Yeah. That's gonna give them an indication as to where they really need to start. Love that advice. Well, what work is FEMA doing right now or in the near future to innovate the field of emergency management? You know, uh, emergency managers are our problem solvers. And sometimes giving uh, not enough resources and more mission than you can really, really handle. And FEMA certainly has uh, an extraordinary track record when it comes to making a difference in the lives of, of people in, in our country. You know, when faced with the challenge of setting up mass vaccination sites at the start of this year, uh, we were called on. If we, if you would have told us at the start of the pandemic that we would be responsible for that, I'm not sure that we would have said yes. Of course we will, <laughs> but but we rise to the challenge, and, and I think we find an internal resolve and an internal capacity to to exceed expectations. And everybody at FEMA is really focused on that. You know, we're not we're not perfect. We are human, but we really do try to do all we can do to meet the mission requirements and then exceed them as much as we possibly can. You know, the administrator has really set uh, the tone for for us at FEMA to 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 learn uh, to adapt and, and then also to to innovate, right? Climate instability, climate change is something that we have to tackle. How do we adapt to that? How do we work with industry on that? How do we reduce our risk? That's an area where we're looking at, you know, innovating. We're looking at some ways where, you know, we can be just a little bit better. So that's a readiness aspect. And then I, I shared a little bit a few minutes ago about, you know, the seat at the table, those that are potentially under-resourced, the communities or underserved populations. 
know, we can innovate in the way that we look at the world too. And so, you know, there's a lot of risk in the world. There's a lot of risk in the communities that we serve. You know, we're really trying to develop a strategy that meets some of these, I think, real drivers of instability, you know, climate being the very macro thing, you know, equity uh, at the community level, and then readiness. We've got to be ready to meet the challenge of serving people in the communities that may not all look the same. And we've definitely got to you know, be able to be ready for not just the climate, but also, you know, seismic threats, uh, cyber threats. You know, it's a dynamic uh, threat environment out there. And we're an all hazards agency. And there's uh, a number of different ways for us to, I think, rise to the challenge. One last thing, one last thing I would just share about innovation is that, you know, we do take cues from the private sector in what we, what we think about, what we do. You know, this is the second strategic plan where we have engaged the private sector, you know, robustly to, to get some different thinking. So we don't want to necessarily be, you know, insular. And then also the, the FEMA administrator has the National um, Advisory Council that serves as a sounding board for the administrator as well to really make sure that we don't have our blinders on, making sure that we are addressing, you know, potentially an unforeseen threat or an unforeseen risk that just not able to see every day. Yeah, I like how you take that community approach. It's let's just get input from everywhere because you never know where you'll find a great idea. We like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide the listeners with a practical tip that they can take back to their organizations to improve their overall crisis response or emergency preparedness plans. So in your opinion, what is one thing that our audience should keep in mind or be aware of as they modify or update their existing plans? Flooding continues to be the number one threat. And, and making sure that you've got flood insurance uh, as an individual or flood insurance uh, from a corporate entity, that really can help accelerate your recovery after disaster. If you go to FEMA.gov, you'll not only get information about you know, flood mitigation assistance, uh, the, the flood insurance program, but you'll also see other templates on, on readiness, uh, on preparedness as well. The, the other thing, too, is, is maybe this is something that not a lot of people know about, and that is you can actually subscribe to the daily operations brief. Every, every morning, we, we gather the interagency together, look at what the threats are, unclassified, and we have a daily operations brief. And so I know that many companies actually subscribe to the daily operations brief. You can subscribe to it on FEMA.gov. And then lastly, for the companies that you know, would want to join the national BEOC, you can get some information on FEMA.gov uh, as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time, expertise, and advice. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Peter. And if fortunate enough to ever come back, I look forward to doing so. Appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. This has been great. I've learned a ton. And if anyone out there listening wants to connect with you or just learn more about working with FEMA, what is the best way to do so? So really, the, the best thing to do is for my office, which is the Office of Business, Industry, and Infrastructure Integration, ob3i at fema.dhs.gov. That's the best way for us to be helpful to you. And then just for general reference, FEMA website is uh, www.fema.gov. We're also active on Twitter and Facebook. So for your social media, using social media, Following our accounts will get you uh, also updates on different programs, as well as just staying abreast of, of how we're helping people before, during, and after disaster. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. For the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency, so communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover.
Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.